Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Kyle Livingston on the line. Kyle, how are you? Good, good, Michael. Thanks for having me. How, how's things going on your end? Things are going great. Uh, time's flying. You you go and where in the heck did summer go? And you know, it's like <laughs> you know, literally fall season hits, and not only is a certain coffee shop selling a certain flavor of spice latte, uh, but the temperature seems to be coinciding with that already. I'm like, wait a minute, we should phase into this. But but enough about the weather. Uh, why don't you share a little bit about yourself, and then we'll dive into the conversation. Yeah, man, absolutely. So, um, again, my name is Kyle Livingston. Uh, today, I am a fractional COO. And so, today, I go into multiple companies, typically online companies doing six figures a year or more. Um, and I really take over a second in command. My team and I, we go in and take over a second in command. Um, and that's what I do today. And that there's been, you know, a long entrepreneurial journey that got me to where I'm at today. Um, and it's been, it's been a fun journey. It's been an awesome journey. But I think that, uh, you know, as we get into more of our conversations, you can start, you know, kind of probing and asking questions around like, you know, where did it all start? What happened? And where did we get to from here? So uh, but that's what we do today. And we take uh, online coaches, consultants, infopreneurs and help them really fortify and strengthen their businesses so the owners can get out of the day to day and stop being kind of tied to a high paying job and actually have the business that that they're actually looking to build here. That's important. I find a lot of entrepreneurs and intrapreneurs and and what solopreneurs, every preneur out there, <laughs> sometimes will they'll have a product or a service that's really good and they're the brains behind it, but then they're also taking out the trash too and, yeah. and mopping the floors. And I, I find a lot of them have a really difficult time separating themselves from that so they can focus on what only they can do. So it sounds yeah. like your organization does a lot of help around that arena to help them really shine in their, their sweet spot. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about your journey. Uh, let's talk about because you know being a fractional CEO, that's not something that I remember in college or even in high school was a job description. So what got you to this point? Because I know you've done a lot of things and launched businesses and have been successful. And I want to talk about the not so successful, although I'm a I'm a big fan of lessons learned because I think that makes your success stronger. But share a little bit about the journey. I uh, really want to hear about that. Yeah, absolutely. So I've always kind of been an entrepreneur to some degree. Um, early on, like as a kid, uh, I was, I don't know, between 12 and 13 years old. Um, I wanted to make enough money to go to a church camp that summer. And we just didn't have the money. I grew up very poor, uh, just didn't have the money to go. And um, it kind of led me down the path of entrepreneurship, right? I'd go start knocking on people's doors in the neighborhood. I guess it led me into sales more than entrepreneurship. Uh, started knocking on people's doors in the neighborhood, seeing if I can mow their lawns, wash their cars, et cetera. And um, what really like flipped the switch for me was after um, you know I got back from church camp, made enough money. I'm I'm sitting uh, in my bedroom one weekend, counting the money that I'd made from Friday, Saturday's worth of work in our neighborhood. And I'm sitting on my waterbed and I'm counting my hundred dollar my money, you know. And my mom walks in and she goes, "Oh, I see you're counting your money. You've been saving up for a couple months." And I'm like, "No, <laughs> this is what I made from Friday." And she's like you've literally made more money than dad did today. 
And I was 15 years old going, wow, like this, this system that I'm going into with school and education and going to get a job and kind of follow my dad's footsteps, that's not going to serve me well. Cause I have these big goals, these big aspirations, even as a young type. Um, so that kind of opened up my, my, uh, eyes to the entrepreneurial world is like, okay, I got to figure something else out here. And, um, Shortly after graduating high school, I started my first business and uh, it was in the telecommunications construction, uh, commercial construction business. I had been working in that industry for a few years and um, right out of the gate became, you know, fairly successful, especially for being a 20 year old kid. Uh, I was fairly successful, grew the company up, sold it uh, just just a little over a year later. Um, and uh, the next business that I had gotten into was also a commercial construction business, but it was through a partner. Um, this gentleman called me. He says, "Hey, I, I heard you're pretty good at this at this particular type of industry. I am bleeding between forty and sixty thousand dollars of cash per month. Can you come in and help me out?" And it, it, at the time, um, I wasn't interested. I was going to go travel. I was going to go take some of my money from the first business and go enjoy my time and go do some traveling and, and etc. And uh, Mike, this guy's name, his name is Mike. We called him Breezer. Uh, Breeze was very, very like adamant. He goes, look, man, just take me like, let's go to dinner. Let's have a conversation and let's see if this is something that we can uh, work out. And so I was like, all right, cool. He's like, you pick the place, tell him where to go. Um, I take him out to sushi. The guy doesn't even like sushi. So he entertains me at sushi. He doesn't even like it. Um, and he basically offers me a portion of his business, um, a multiple six figure salary and basically everything I wanted um, when I'd asked, I basically asked for something that I knew he would tell me no, because I didn't actually want it. I asked for, it, he told me yes anyway. And so now I'm on my second business and we turn around that business. We take it from, you know, bleeding money in the red every month to, um, making it a profitable business and selling that business about 12 months later. I uh, did it again, wildly successful, exited that company. Um, just shy of two years after that, some three exits. And at this point, and man, I think I'm on top of the freaking world. Okay. Um, I'm going into full-time real estate investing. That's where my wife and I met was at a real estate investment club. And, um, I get a call one day from this gentleman named Clay and Clay had been an old, um, buddy of mine that we did a bunch of work for. And he calls me, he's like, Hey man, the company that you had sold last year is no longer in business. And we have about $4 million worth of contracts that I would love to give to you. And because they're no longer in business, the NDA that you had is no longer relevant. And so, um, my girlfriend at the time, now wife, we sat down and had a conversation about it. It's like, yeah, let's go do this. I've done this three times. I got this. This can be easy. Let's roll. And um, I actually ended up buying all of the stuff that I had sold uh, initially, all of the materials and tools and trucks and trailers, et cetera. I had bought it all back for like pennies on the dollar. And so I made money on the exit and I'm also making money on the uh, the rebuy, basically. And so um, we're in Southern California at the time. The first contract is in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And I get up all the crews, I get up all the trucks, they get all the guys, and we mobilize out to Albuquerque. And over the next seven to 14 days, man, I should have known right away there was something wrong with this compared to the other three versions of this business that I had done and exited successfully. Um, a little bit of a fun story. It's fun looking back on now, but in the moment, it was terrifying. Um, we had this gentleman that was working with us. And uh, in that industry, in the telecom industry, um, drugs are pretty rampant. I mean, you have a lot of guys that are kind of transient sometimes. It's just not, not the best. So drugs are pretty rampant. And um, this guy, he kind of just disappeared one day. Like, I had no idea what happened. He didn't show up for work. I, I have no clue what's going on. And uh, so I just wrote it off. The guy is not showing up for work. He's just, you know, whatever. And uh, about two days later, it's about one in the morning. 
I'm upstairs and I hear this just commotion. All hell breaks loose downstairs. And so I go running downstairs. I'm probably wearing like a robe or my underwear or something. I go running downstairs. And this guy that didn't show up for work two days earlier is now breaking into our house. And uh, we had some guys staying in one of the guest bedrooms, one of some workers in one of the guest bedrooms. He's breaking into our house completely high as a kite, thinking people are chasing him, trying to get into like his phone or his brain or something. And he's coming for like solace and help. And he's just high as a kite. And that was day like seven. (laughs) And everything for the next nine months kind of went that same way. Um, I was so focused inside of the business and inside of the problems and managing the guys and dealing with payment terms and, you know, uh, owning the business, but also doing the paperwork and taking out the trash and getting the trucks cleaned and doing everything else that goes into running a business that I wasn't focused on the problems we were running into. We were running into a lot of big problems. I was just like, okay, what's next? What's next? What's next? And that kind of began the, the humbling lesson that was business failure that year for me. Um, and so, yeah, I know it's kind of a long winded answer to your question, but we can go wherever you want from here, man. Yeah, that's one of those things where in my career, I've had a situation with an employee, um, and I'm going to be very careful because I know people listen to this and I want to protect everybody involved, but they had uh, a similar issue. They didn't thankfully you know, break into my home or anything like that, but uh, you know, they would go MIA for quite a period of time and then uh, a coworker discovered them sleeping in our office on a Saturday. Um, and it was like, okay, uh, this is a little out of the ordinary type of thing. So, you know, that's one of those things where you're like, okay, you know, we know that, you know, drugs can do some crazy things for people and to people and that's there. But then just, you know, that on top of all the other things that you encountered for, you know, for several months, you're thinking, wait a minute, how come I've never, and this is a question I should ask you at first, is because of your successes that you had before, I'm sure when you were going through these nine months of what in the world's going on, I'm sure there was a thought that crossed my mind. It's like, how come I never encountered this before in the previous things? Why were those so, I don't want to say easy, but just they flowed through without any issues. I'm sure you had that question. I, I definitely had that question and it wasn't until probably a year after me losing everything for the first time that I began to really look at that because in the moment I was so focused on like, dude, I have payroll Friday and I, it's like 25 grand and I have $700 in the bank. How am I making payroll? And the convert, like the conversations I was having internally at the time were more like, how do I solve the acute problem? And I literally couldn't get past that acute problem. Like Friday payroll happens like, oh, we, we made payroll, we could breathe. And then Monday was a new set of problems. And so I might get 24 hour break between figuring out payroll and like moving on to the next set of problems. And to be honest, I just wanted to chill. Like I was so stressed out trying to solve that Friday payroll problem that on Saturday and Sunday, I just wanted to go have a couple of drinks and relax. And I wasn't really focused. And so part of it was the person that I was at the time. Um, but a lot of it was, I just wasn't in the mindset of really trying to solve the real problems that I was running into. Um, looking back though, to answer your question and looking back, I had sacrificed quality of the people that I surrounded myself with for, I, I had traded, I didn't sacrifice. I had traded the quality of people that I had around me because I thought I was the shit. I thought I was the man. I thought I had everything under control. I thought nothing could take me out. 
And I wasn't focused on hiring quality people. I wasn't focused on getting quality contracts. I was like, give me a warm body. I'll figure it out. I'm the man. We'll make this happen. So looking back, I didn't focus on the top 10% of, of employees was one of my big problems. But my, my, I would say uh, the number one attribution here was simply, I just wasn't focused on actually trying to solve problems that mattered to the business. I was just too focused on trying to solve like in the weeds next acute problem. So after losing everything and you were reflecting back on everything that had transpired, you know, what were some things that obviously you mentioned a couple of them right there where you focused on, okay, I need to be in the top 10% type of thing. But you know, what were some additional pitfalls that you may have encountered after you, you had um, lost everything and you know started to rebuild? Yeah, I think that one of the things is actually controlling the controllable. And I know this is such like a cheesy metaphor, right? But like, there's so many things out there that we can control that we don't. And in the business at the time, there were a lot of things that I could have controlled, but didn't. And I was so focused on controlling the immediate, I wasn't focused on controlling all of the controllable. And to be honest, I was also trying to control a lot of things that weren't controllable. And so looking back on it, it was like figuring out and diagnosing the actual problem and not diagnosing what I felt like the problem was. I think that was a big key distinguishing uh, thing for me after the fact was like, if I would have just focused on like what the problems were, right? If I would have focused on actual leadership to the team, if I would have focused on, you know, uh, getting people rallying behind the same goals that I had, if I would have done the things that go into actually running a successful business instead of just doing the day-to-day and being what I refer to as a technician, like I was way more of a technician in my business than I was an integrator or even an operator or a visionary or whatever you want to call that, that role. I was way more of a technician. And I couldn't step out of that technician role this time to actually focus on growing the business. It's a common problem that a lot of mm-hmm. people that grow into a business, you know, let's say they're really good at what they do, they're a technician, we'll use that term, and then they get promoted to manager. And even in a managerial role, sometimes you still get your hands dirty, you're still working on some things. But then when you are running a division or you're running an organization, even the small companies, there's this tendency where it's like, well, I got to keep my hands in it. So I keep fresh. And what happens is you're, you're robbing yourself of the ability to grow the business, expand it. And you're also, you know, going back to your uh, comment earlier, if you're not hiring the top 10%, then you may not have people that you can trust to do the things and, and be on the same page for the growth. Because ultimately, as a leader, you're to lead. You let them drive the bus. You're leading. You kind of point and say, go over there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and of course, you know, with the strong leaderships, if, if they see something where it could be a potential problem, they'll warn you and you'll go, okay, maybe we shouldn't go over there. Maybe you should pivot over to this way. It's a lot easier to turn a vehicle when it's moving. And mm-hmm. um, if you're stagnant and you're staying stuck, then then you can't. And I, I think it's these are all important lessons that you know, I'm sure a lot of listeners right now are kind of nodding their head if they've been through it, or they're starting to reflect on, ooh, wait a minute, that one situation that I've been trying to sweep under the rug, uh, a lot of people are tripping over that lump right now because it's something you have to address. And sometimes that's, that's scary to do, uh, especially if it's an unknown type of situation. Yeah, absolutely. And it is, right? You have the you have those things in your business. And what I've found is a lot of business owners that I work with, that lump under the carpet you're talking about, 
they typically sweep it under there because they don't know what they don't know. And it's like, I know this is a problem, but I don't know how to solve it. And the last time I hired a who to solve this problem, they left me with a mess. And so here I am with the mess and sweeping. And I see that all the time. I see that all the time. Um, and more often than not, sweeping it under the rug just makes it a bigger and bigger problem. And it just festers. And then what happened you know, with me was uh, it all came to a head. And after doing $3 million in revenue in nine months, I was holding the bag for $160,000 loss because I kept sweeping problems under the rug that came back to bite me in the ass later on down the road, nine months later, but they still came back to bite me. Yeah. And that fear of how am I going to cover payroll is a huge one. I've worked for mm -hmm. an organization uh, that had that issue from time to time. And that was an uneasy feeling, not only for me as an employee, because I was akin to the information and, and knew what the challenges were, uh, but from an ownership standpoint, it's like one, and I, I tell this to you in the talks I do about burnout prevention and stress and, and all of that is financial stress, in my opinion, some people may disagree, but I think financial stress is probably the worst one. And the reason being is, as much as we hate paying bills, we actually do enjoy the fact that we have the ability to do so. And yeah. when we lose that ability, and when it comes to payroll, you're impacting the lives of everybody that you pay. And that has such a ripple effect on it. And you're going, oh. But I always say, if you don't pay people, that's when you get to see the true self of them. You know, yep. no, they're not cookie cutter, you know, blowing sunshine up the boss's bum. Oh, no, they, they, you know who they are right there. And then and when you impact their livelihood and that's, yep. that's something I always encourage our entrepreneurs. It's like, make sure you have some elbow room um, yeah. because if you don't, then, you know, you could be in the situation that you unfortunately had faced. Well, and it, it, like you said, it shows them, it shows you who they are, you know, and I'm never one to mess with anybody's money. And the le this was when I learned this lesson. I had, um, I had uh, six guys on this particular project out in Texas and um, the way that we structured it, we had a big house and the guys would live in the house and I'd have my own room in the house. It was just cheaper than putting them all in hotels. And so um, I came up to some of the guys. I'm like, look, guys, it was Thursday. I said, hey, guys, look, um, I'm not going to be able to pay you tomorrow. I'll have your full paycheck for you on Monday. This was another, another challenge we were facing. Right? Payroll, hitting payroll was just a problem from day one for us. And so we said, uh, I said, hey, listen, I can't pay you Friday. I will have a check for you Monday, just the way that everything happened to the transfers, et cetera, et cetera. I was just too late. And I, get, I told everybody, here's a few hundred bucks to get through the weekend. They all smoke cigarettes and, and, and drink beer. I said, I'll buy you as many cigarettes as you can smoke, as much beer as you can drink. You guys get Monday off. You get tomorrow off as well. You get a four-day weekend. Here's, some, you know, here's a few hundred bucks. Enjoy the, uh, enjoy the weekend. And so um, uh, Monday rolls around. I pay the guys and I give them Tuesday off. I said, hey, guys, listen, uh, I'm going to give you guys tomorrow off as well. Thanks for being flexible. I appreciate it. And uh, these three guys, they were friends and they all come from Florida together. And they said, hey, boss, you know, we're in Texas. They're like, hey, we're going to go down to the beach on, uh, on Tuesday morning. Um, we're going to leave pretty early so we can get some time at the beach. And, uh, you know, just expect us to be gone when you wake up. So, all right, cool. And so, um, and here, here's, a, here's a little side note about a, like red flags and paying attention to the red flags. Well, uh, that Monday night, I had walked out of my bedroom and I had noticed one of the guys carrying a suitcase up the stairs. I didn't think anything about it. I thought maybe he's just repacking his room or whatever. Didn't think anything of it. Uh, Tuesday after Tuesday evening, Tuesday night, haven't heard anything from the guys all day long. Tried to get a hold of them, can't get a hold of them, nothing. I get a picture of my truck and GPS coordinates. And these guys had stolen my truck, 
drove it from Texas all the way to Daytona Beach, Florida, left it in Daytona Beach with the doors open and the keys in the center console because I didn't pay him for 72 hours. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, at least you had, you know, at least you had, you know, satellite photos and, yeah. and all that to be able to say, here's where your sled is. Yep. Um, that's, that's one of the positives of that technology is yeah, you can find it if somebody boosts it, but yep. yeah. So here you are. Okay. I got to get my truck back here. I am in Texas. I got to get to Daytona beach. Money's probably not easily flowing Not at, at all. this point. So buying a, a one-way ticket uh, from Texas to, you know, Daytona beach is uh, in the last second is not going to be good. So yeah. Um, yeah. How, how did you get your truck back? So I, I had, I had called the cops. I went to go report it stolen. Well, because they had access to the keys, it's not actually stolen. And so I'm sitting here, like there's literally nothing I can do. I finally, it's, it's Wednesday midday at this point, finally get a hold of one of the guys that are driven the truck. And um, I'm having a conversation with him, tells me why he took it. He got peer pressured into it and I had convinced him to actually drive it back and I would give him his position back at the company. And so I paid him to drive it back. Um, he ended up quitting like a week later anyway, but I thankfully had gotten my truck back. It had been a little destroyed and damaged from the guys taking it out and just not really caring about it. But um, at the end of the day, we'd gotten the truck back. But the the lesson of that story for me was like, you, you never know what something small to you is going to do to your employees. To me, it wasn't a big deal. Hey, I'll pay you guys on Monday. Here's all the money you need between now and then, right? Can't give you your full paycheck, but I can give you a third of it plus food, plus, plus, plus per, per diem, et cetera. To me, it was a small thing, but to the guys, it was everything. And it was worth literally stealing a truck and driving cross country uh, to get out of that environment. And so if you're, if you're an owner of a business listening to this right now, Understand that your actions, especially when it comes to your, your employees' money or even your contractor's money, your actions, even if you think it's small, may be a really big deal to somebody else and never to really proceed to do something without really having conversations with the team, with the people to make sure that everybody's on that same page. Yeah, that's a very important lesson to share. So, so fast forward from getting your truck back and having that person leave, you know, what, how did you get from there to, you know, to where you are today? What, what are some of the steps along the way? So after we closed that business down, my wife and I decided that, um, you know, this isn't something we wanted to do. Our lifestyle was attached to our business and we didn't have our business attached to our lifestyle. And that was something that her and I both wanted. We both wanted to be able to live um, wherever we wanted, travel where we wanted and not be stuck to, you know, a, a particular place. And so we went and bought a 36 foot RV completely gutted it. I remodeled it over the next 90 days, just kind of getting out of you know work mode, kind of de-stressing. And um, we traveled around the US trying to figure out one, where we wanted to live, but two, where we, what we wanted to do next. And so I spent the next 18 months buying every course and every program and every everything that you could possibly imagine, parked myself in the forest and just began learning this new world of online entrepreneurship, right? I knew business fundamentals, but I didn't know the online world. And so I really got in the online world um, opened an agency with a business partner and, um, I was on the up and up, right? I thought we we're going to start doing good, lost everything. It's been about two years. Um, doing okay. Doing about 20, 25 K a month in the agency. Now we signed this big client that we'd been prospecting for about six months. The day we signed that client, um, my business partner shuts down our bank account, cleans everything out and re-signs everything to, he didn't actually sign it to us. He signed it to their to their or his other business entity. And so I woke up one morning and again, for the second time, everything that I had was gone. 
And I'm like, shoot, dude, like I have, we had a 60 K a month now agency, 40, 60 K a month. And it's gone overnight. And again, I wasn't in a financial position to go and like fight this in court and do all these things. And so I had to start over again, but I knew that I had business. I knew I had uh, online business knowledge. I knew I had brick and mortar business knowledge. Um, and so I went and began marketing for a client, a new client in the commercial construction space. And um, after about marketing for about five months, he calls me. He's like, kind of frantic. He's like, Kyle, Kyle, we got to shut ads off, man. I have too much work coming this way. I can't talk. I can't take on any more work. And um, at the time, he was my biggest, my biggest retainer. And so um, I get off the phone. I'm like, dude, what a terrible offer. Like I do so good at marketing and running an agency and running your ads and buying your media that you have to shut down your ads because you can't take on any more work. I was like, that's a terrible deal. So I call him back. His name's Mike. I'm like, Mike, I'm flying up to New York next week and we're going to fix your operational issues because that's the problem. Not, not, you know, not being able to fulfill on what we're marketing for you. That's the problem. We can fix that. Uh, flew to New York, spent about two weeks in New York with him. And over the course of the next two weeks, we were able to really fix his business issues, like the, the operational problems he had in his business, getting him focused on the things that he needed to focus on, getting his team with checklists and process and all these things. And uh, over the next 12 months, his business went from about two and a half million a year to $6 million with the same team in 12 months. Because we removed the bottlenecks, we removed all the issues. Like these guys would need a, you know, a, a saw in, in, I don't know, three hours away from their warehouse. They'd get to the job site and realize, oh shoot, I forgot the saw. And so you either buy a new saw or you drive back to the warehouse. Well, you're going to buy the new saw and there's just wasted money. And so all these little things we fixed, got the owner out of the business. Um, and that was my first like, okay, maybe I can do this whole operational consulting thing. I see a lot of people bottlenecked at this place. Um, I began working with a consultancy, a brand, you know, big brand name consultancy here in uh, Franklin, Tennessee. And I realized that a lot of their clients that were going through this consultancy, they were stuck at like 60 to 100K a month. That was kind of their area that everybody was stuck in. And the ones that got past that, they went to six, seven, 800K a month. But everybody was kind of stuck at that, at that mark. And I started realizing, man, people can sell and market themselves into a place of like pain and frustration and stay there, which is what I had done. I had gotten three, $4 million worth of work, couldn't fulfill on it, stayed at the certain number mark, couldn't get past it. And so I began working with people operationally. Hey, let me come in and fix the operational bottlenecks in your business. How do we get you as the owner out of the operational bottleneck? How do we get your team on the same page? How do we get you um, focused on the things that'll move the needle, et cetera, et cetera, systems process, right? All the unsexy stuff that goes into operations. Um, but that's when I kind of realized the, the flip switch for me is like, man, if we can take these businesses who know how to market and know how to sell and add rocket fuel to the back end, which is the operations, they can scale very, very quickly. And, you know, every um, one of my biggest success stories to date was we took one client, they were doing about 60K a month in profit. And over four months, we took them from 60K a month in profit to 211K a month in profit around this, you know, same team, same everything, all because we just removed the bottlenecks from the business. Um, and so that was kind of the journey getting here. Just, I just realized so many people were stuck here and, um, yeah, it's it the easiest way for us to help them get to that next level without being a marketer or a sales coach or something along those lines. That's awesome. And, it, you know, the thing of it is, you know, all the skills that you had and have and, you know, launching all of the businesses that you launched and the success you had, you see that. So what happens is what's not obvious to that organization in New York, you you saw through all the bottlenecks, the silos, the, okay, we got to get a saw. Okay, well, why don't you properly 
stock your work. So you go up there and you have all the tools you'll need uh, and, you know, and interchangeable parts too and standardization. So let's say one person is working on a job and for some reason you need to call them over to another job Mm -hmm. for a day. Well, they've got all the tools. They don't have to go, what are you working on? What kind of tools do I need to bring? No, you have all of them. So you just go drop in, go and then return back. And those efficiencies is where you make money. I, I tell people this all the time when I used to work in the nonprofit sector for a bit during my career. And of course, everybody knows a nonprofit. You're privately funded either by donations or government funding type of thing. And it's capped, you know, so they, they don't have a lot of opportunities to really grow the revenue. But I tell them, it's like, find those inefficiencies in the expense lines. And when you find them, You'll you'll save money, and it'll be as if you got a big boost. You know, one organization, I found a quarter million dollars just in operating expense savings. It's like, well, let's find this new agreement, let's negotiate this new contract, let's standardize on some things. Why are we ordering this? No one uses them. Well, we just <laughs> we just well, we've just been ordering them. It's like, and you go into the warehouse and you go, you know, it's like <laughs> it's like why do we have seven years worth of post-it notes? It's like. <laughs> Okay. Are we going to order every month? And it's yeah, exactly. It's like, and no one uses them. It's like, all right, guess what we're going to do? We're going to canvas all of our partners and we're going to see if we can donate them and get a receipt. And then we're going to write it off on our taxes as a, we're never going to do this again. (laughs) And, and an organization that was of course a nonprofit, you know, were the recipient of a whole lot of post-it notes that they use all the time. <laughs> and we got a little bit of a write-off to kind of correct a boo-boo. And then from there, it's fine. But again, you find those efficiencies. Uh, it makes yeah, the man. biggest difference. It's literally like landing a new sale or, yeah. or um, you know, and again, a lot of times with that extra revenue, you can go, you know what, we can bring in an extra person to help with this thing, which all of a sudden qualifies you for additional funding. Guess what? You found some savings and now you're getting more money too. It's a win-win across the board. So that's 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 got to be some fun work that you get to do on that. It is. It is. And the 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 transition from technician or or operator to executive, the loss prevention is like one of the biggest profit centers that you have is because just like you said, you, you don't even know where you're wasting money. So loss prevention, loss prevention is a huge profit center for a lot of clients. Totally agree. So I'd love this conversation. Where can people find out more about you, this awesome work you're doing? Yeah, man. Um, so for your audience, what I've done is I've taken all of the templates, all of the dashboards, all of the, the tracking metrics, all of the trainings that we've done, all of the SOPs, everything that we have that we've standardized for all of these businesses I'm just going to go ahead and give to your audience as a gift to them for having me on the show. So uh, if you guys want to go to fortifiedtoolbox.com, you guys can get everything you need. There's no paywall, no nothing there. It's all free. Um, You can download all of the assets. And that's what we use to run businesses that are doing, you know, some businesses do 100K a month on these these systems and these uh, templates. Other businesses are doing upwards of a million a month on these same exact templates. So if you're anywhere in that range or your, your goals are some of that range, these templates will be exactly what you need. That was very generous. Thank you for that. And I'll definitely have that in the show notes. So Kyle, thank you again for your time today. And congratulations for persevering and getting through all of those challenges to be successful in where you are today. So thanks again for being on the show. Awesome. Thanks, Michael. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to The Breakfast Leadership Show, part of the Breakfast Leadership Network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.